So Rosetta Fillet Comet Landing, uh, hopefully you'll remember this, it wasn't 11 years ago. Um, but I, I, I will try to convince you that like all good stories, this one started in Oxford. Uh, so back in 1705, if you walked along here, you might have met a chap, um, Edmund Halley, who lived along here on the left, he's a professor at New College, and he'd uh, been reading books by Isaac Newton, which tells you how things behave in, uh, in response to gravitational fields and so on and observations of comets in particular, he, he saw that um, uh, he's working out the trajectories of comets, seeing that they, they did indeed seem to travel in ellipses around the sun, and uh, one particular comet, uh, well, a comet observation in uh, several, three past comet observations looked remarkably similar and looked as if they were traveling on the same path. So he said, that's probably the same object and we'll see it again. Um, and that eventually got named after him, so you may have heard of it. Um, so this is, uh, this is showing where sort of uh, Mars and Jupiter and Saturn are, and so this then is the elliptical orbit of, of Halley's Comet, um, showing it goes very, very far out in the, in the solar system indeed, right past Neptune, and it comes back every 76 years. So he'd seen data from these three observations and predicted, this was 1705 when he made this prediction, he predicted it would come back in, in 1758, 59, and it did indeed, and so that's, what, that's largely what made him famous. Um, so, you may also notice in this um, set of dates that there, is a, there was a, uh, one of the times it passed by the sun was in 1986, and that's very much in the space age. So um, a whole fleet of spacecraft was sent out to go visit it, uh, including one from the European Space Agency called Giotto, and uh, it managed to fly by this, this uh, comet, cometary core and take this, this rather startling picture. So this shows um, an object which is, uh, I forget quite how big, but, but quite a few kilometers uh, across, uh, and it's, it's um, losing lots of water. And so when you see a tail behind a comet in the sky, a lot of it's water which is being, um, which is being cooked off the cometary surface and blown out by, um, by uh, heat and being driven away by the solar wind. And then you've also got a lot of dust coming out of it. And that's what these, these um, spacecraft flying past the comet could, could do. But they were all launched in a hurry and they could fly past the comet at speeds of many thousands of kilometers per hour. So they can get a taste of what was in the, uh, in the tail of the comet, but they couldn't stay and really try to understand what was happening at the comet. So um, after digesting all the data from, from this, uh, plans were hatched to go back and, and really do it properly and stay at a comet for some time. So to go into orbit around a comet. So you don't want to wait until 2061 to do that again at Halley's Comet. So they found uh, a short period comet, so one which doesn't go quite so far out in the solar system, one which is uh, much closer in. And uh, so this is eventually the one they picked and they wanted one with a nice easy to pronounce name. So they took everyone together, Churyumov Gerasimenko. There you go. <laughs> so after uh, lots of studies and proposals, eventually they got a mission together. Uh, it got to the launch pad in 2004, so very shortly after the Beagle 2 landing, you'll note. Um, and it launched. 
and then it started a very complicated uh, series of swing bys and everything so that it could get into the same kind of orbit as that uh, uh, as the comet because if the comet's coming along like this you don't just want to go to where you think it's going to be because then you're, you're going to be traveling completely different directions and there's not much use at all so you need to get this spacecraft into a very similar orbit which means you need to get um, into a, a Jupiter craft like orbit to get this thing onto a path uh, because at its furthest it's about as far out as Jupiter and so eventually after 10 years of cruising around the solar system um, finally it caught up with a comet and that was in uh, about August this uh, August 2014 um, I should point out this is a picture of the lander and uh, again the the body of the of the spacecraft was made uh, in the UK in Stevenage why all these stories seem to gravitate towards Stevenage it's a bit worrying um, but this is quite a large spacecraft um, the size of a small car I suppose uh, and cost uh, a billion euros or so by the time you add up all the management costs and everything um, and then on the side of that is is the lander because not only did they want to orbit the comet and take lots of pictures on it of it they wanted to actually land on it and and do some in situ science um, so when they finally got to the comet they found it wasn't uh, a nice spherical shape which is what people had been um, using in their shape models and so on we knew that comets aren't big enough to pull themselves through gravity into a spherical shape but this uh, this surprised people even so uh, there was general merriment as as we approached the comet and people were saying oh it looks a bit like a rubber duck and then there's also a, a bit of a competition on whose potato is shaped most like Churyumovka Razumenko and this is the best one I've seen so far so now you have to lose a lander on a potato but that's, a, that's another uh, competition so uh, remember that comets have this streaming out of, of um, water and dust and so on so uh, first of all it means you don't want to approach this comet when it's at its closest to the sun which is when all the material will be streaming from it because it can damage your spacecraft once you've spent lots of money getting there and lots of time getting there so that's one of the reasons why they approach this comet when it's really quite far from the sun 500 million kilometers from the sun and everything's still quite cold and there's less material streaming from it even so they approached it very carefully this is this shows you the path they they used approaching the comet they approached it from the sunward direction so that the tail would be streaming out the other direction and then they slowly approached it like this and after a complicated series of maneuvers and ended up in this orbit this is in August and then they uh, slowly decreased the altitude of the orbit taking more and more images deciding on landing sites and then finally in um, on the 12th of November um, they sent the signal to go and the Philae lander separated and again here's, a, here's another one of these pictures which, which Chris will love because it's one spacecraft from another spacecraft uh, and this is the lander with its legs extended uh, slowly spinning for stability going off towards the comet um, so here's a uh, here's a picture of what the lander looks like it has uh, solar cells on quite a few sides it has three legs um, now remember the comet has extraordinarily weak gravity its, uh, it's gravity is less than 10,000 times uh, as strong as it well less than a ten thousandth of the strength it is here on earth so uh, one of the great worries is that this thing would land uh, 
and not stick because it doesn't have gravity to hold it down. So uh, to try to get away from that, they have little screws in the feet. But if you've tried to screw something in without pushing on the screw, you'll find it's very difficult to get the screw to go in. So for that reason, they had a thruster on the back of the lander to push it down into the surface. I think they had about 10 seconds of thrust to push the lander down on the surface while they tried to engage the screws. Unfortunately, that thruster failed to work. And they knew it had failed to work the night before they sent the lander down to the surface. And there was a bit of a conference where the mission manager had to decide whether to delay everything by a day, uh, you know, tell all the media to go home and come back when they'd sorted it out. But they decided, well, if it's not working today, it probably won't be working tomorrow and we can't send out an engineer to fix it. So they went anyway. And they said, there's always a backup. There's a harpoon system. So the harpoons will fire into the, into the ground. They have barbed uh, harpoons so that it can hold onto the surface so that we can hold onto this comet as it flies through the solar system. Uh, unfortunately, it turns out that didn't work either. <laughs> uh, so you've probably heard this story before. Here are the, the descent images which Philae um, obtained on its way down. There, there are a few of these um, showing as planned, a nice flat sort of dusty surface. This is exactly what they what they planned for and what the lander was designed for. Um, but then it bounced and it took it took a good few tens of minutes to figure out that this is what was happening. Or, and here's some amazing images taken from the orbiter showing here's uh, here's the lander coming down just before landing. Here it is again. You see the sun glinting off it. There's the touchdown point. And uh, you sort of need to blink uh, these images back and forth, but you can see little craters have appeared on the touchdown site uh, compared to the before image um, once, the, once the craft has touched down. And not only did they image that, but also here is the lander disappearing off over the horizon instead of staying put where it was supposed to stay put, where it was. So uh, when they finally got the images back, from the lander from where it landed, it's a very different scene. No smooth plane. <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite difficult sort of to interpret this, but it's very rocky, it's very cliff-like. Um, this eventually, now that the scientists have a good, good look at it, um, they reckon this is probably uh, great big piles, great big chunks of water ice, all blackened, covered with organic materials. So this is, um, carbon, nitrogen, hydrogen compounds, um, things like methane, ethane, ammonia, all, all um, uh, cooled down and in, in almost solid form because it's so cold out there. Once you start processing these images, um, they've released this as well. This is looking the other direction. Um, uh, so again, this looks very much like a cliff. You can see this is then the horizon with um, presumably the sky over the, over the top of it. So um, one of the problems with, with being up against a cliff is that instead of getting sunlight half of the time, which is what all the thermal models and all the power, the solar power uh, calculations were expecting, it turns out they're only getting one and a half hours of sunlight every time the comet rotates, which takes about 12 hours. Uh, that is not enough to uh, charge the solar panels. Uh, it's not enough to uh, keep the lander warm enough so that its electronics can function so that it can start charging its batteries and things like that. So 
it doesn't have any, basically doesn't have any solar power. And because of that, it couldn't charge its batteries. It just could use what was in its batteries at the time when it landed, which was enough to last for a few days. Now, in those few days, they did run all of the instruments on board, uh, including the drills and things. And uh, they are looking closely at that data. What have they found so far? Um, oh, well, this just in terms of the lander location, one of the first things to do was to figure out where on earth this lander was. By looking at the radio signals and how long it's taken uh, the, the radio signals to reach the orbiter, they think they've located the lander to within about 100 meters, um, and they are trying to take a picture of it. The difficulty is getting this lander in one of those periods when sunlight is reaching it, which is a minority of the time, but also at a time when the, when the uh, orbiter happens to be in just the right place. So that's why it'll take a little bit of time before we get lucky and, and image it. Uh, and then also, it's not exactly a smooth background <laughs> if you're trying to spot something so small against a, a background like this. But um, it should be quite a few pixels, as you see. So I'm hopeful that we will get pictures out of it. Um, here is a, a, a shape model of the surface. And uh, here's uh, a hypothesis of where the lander might be. So again, showing a very rugged terrain with cliffs and things, and lander probably on its side uh, up against a cliff. But we should have improvements in this coming up. Um, there have been results so far. So uh, they're still working on these um, by analyzing the uh, acceleration as this thing came down and bounced. Um, they think there was a dust layer, I think that's supposed to be centimeters, 10 to 20 centimeters. Uh, uh, I'll have to check my units. Uh, so there's a dust la layer covering very hard ice. Um, they've been looking at the atmosphere streaming away from the, uh, from the comet. So they've been doing that from the orbiter anyway, but the lander as well, maybe you get some samples of that atmosphere. They managed to get radio signals between the comet and the lander, not only when the comet can see the lander, but also when the, when the sorry, when the orbiter can see the lander on the same side of the comet, but also when the orbiter is on the other side of the comet. So they're getting radio sounding, a bit like X-rays, through the center of the comet. So that'll give us some clues about the interior structure of the comet, which is interesting. Um, and various images, magnetic fields, uh, and so on. Um, meanwhile, the orbiter carries on. Uh, taking lots of images and so on. This is a recently released one. As the, uh, as the comet is getting closer and closer to the sun, uh, more and more water is starting to be released from the comet. So uh, you can see, for example, this, this is streams of water coming off the comet as it, as it gets closer to the sun. The, uh, the orbiter is flying through the material coming off the, uh, the comet and it's giving chemists lots of things to look at. Uh, lots of water, metal ions, uh, organic compounds with, with various uh, complexity of carbon, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, this is what smells like rotten eggs and things. Um, and uh, so, yes, it's very complex chemistry to be looked at. Uh, finally, one of the other things which has come out recently is um, one of the reasons we're interested in comets is these are fragments of uh, the solar system from a long time ago, uh, a sort of time near when the, the planets were forming. One of the great mysteries is where the terrestrial planets got their water from. It, is this water which was with it when it originally formed or was the water brought from other places in the solar system? And this is, this is kind of interesting when you're trying to figure out where it was 
in the solar system which might have had water, which might have been habitable where life could have developed originally. And um, so one camp, one sort of scientific hypothesis, one team was saying that uh, a lot of the water on Earth was brought to the Earth by comets because they're effectively balls of ice. Um, but when we measured uh, a signature of how much heavy water and how much normal water there is on uh, on the comet, it didn't match at all what we have on Earth. There's much more uh, deuterium on in this cometary water than than we're expecting on Earth. Um, so that doesn't so much uh, favor this theory that comets comets were the main source of water on Earth. But anyway, the uh, now the modelers can look at that and try to figure out what it means with their models. So watch this space. Now, you may be wondering what is happening to this, to this lander. Well, although it doesn't have enough solar power now, it's not hot enough now to wake up, it certainly wasn't in November, this comet is getting ever closer to the sun. It started off 500 million kilometers from the sun, and uh, at its closest it'll be a little bit less than 200 million kilometers from the sun. So uh, the sunlight will be getting brighter as it gets closer to the sun and they were worried at one point about the lander overheating because uh, of the sunlight getting too strong. Now since they're in a hole, that's not their problem. Their problem is being too cold. So uh, instead of worrying about overheating around Easter time, they are now hopeful that it might wake up around Easter time. So uh, watch this space. It is not impossible that this lander might wake up. Unlike the Beagle 2 lander, so. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave it at that, so I'll take questions, thanks.